This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. Debate, discussion, opinion, news and occasionally a little bit of nonsense. If this is your first time listening to FSD, then that's what you can expect from us. So hit subscribe if you like what you hear and join us throughout the season. Manchester United have finally made a decision on the future of Mason Greenwood. He will continue his football career, but he'll continue it away from Old Trafford. The right decision in many people's eyes, but was it reached in the wrong way? United's handling of the situation has come in for criticism and we'll look at why on today's show. Also, Martin Erdegaard was spot on for Arsenal, but the referee was on the spot. Three points for the Gunners at Crystal Palace last night, but they had to play half an hour with 10 men after a red card for Tomiyasu, a decision which left Mikel Arteta raging. Tomiyasu will be banned for one match for that red, but that's nothing compared to the eight months Ivan Tony is banned for because of breaches of the betting rules. The Brentford striker has spoken out for the first time since his ban was announced. He says he thinks someone's out to stop him playing for England. All of that to come on today's Football Social Daily. My name's Niall and with me for this one, Joel Tudor. Morning, Joel. Yeah, we're doing another Yorkie Cole uh, little combination <laughs> because Marley's still at the poolside trying to find the best Greek beers at the moment. And I wouldn't want him on the podcast anyway because I don't think he'd be able to put two words together, let alone two beers together. Yeah, I was going to say, he's off, missing all of the big talking points. And he was messaging us on the WhatsApp group yesterday saying how many beers he was having. So probably wasn't in a fit state to come on today's show to anyway. experiment with that. We've already had a message before <laughs> nine o'clock this morning with a photo of him with a beer. I know there's a time difference, but he's enjoying himself. Oh, and fair gosh. enough. It's always beer o'clock for Marley. <laughs> well, listen, you mentioned York and Cole, the glory days of Manchester United back in that treble winning season of 1999 no such success in recent years for the club and certainly plenty of off-field issues to deal with particularly in the last year and a half as this situation with Mason Greenwood has been rumbling on for a long time now and finally it's reached a conclusion Manchester United revealed their stance on Mason Greenwood yesterday at three o'clock announcing that he will depart the club by mutual consent after a six-month-long internal investigation at Old Trafford the decision was finally reached Greenwood hasn't played for Manchester United for more than a year and a half. His last appearance, the 22nd of January 2022, before he was arrested and later charged with attempted rape and assault. The charges were dropped in February of this year 
by the Crown Prosecution Service who said there was no longer a realistic prospect of a conviction for Greenwood. The striker denied all of the charges that were brought against him. And after that was dropped, Manchester United did their own internal investigation, which has just finished, and they agree that Mason Greenwood didn't commit the offences he was accused of. They said a few days ago that they were partial to information that wasn't in the public domain and that provided greater context to the situation. They previously said that they were going to make a decision on Mason Greenwood's future before the start of the season, before that opening game against Wolves, which was last Monday. And of course, they've pushed it back. But now a decision has been made. So let's read what the club statement said before we get into the nuts and bolts of this. Manchester United has concluded its internal investigation into the allegations made against Mason Greenwood. Based on the evidence available to us, we have concluded that the material posted online did not provide a full picture and that Mason did not commit the offences in respect of which he was originally charged. That said, as Mason publicly acknowledges today... He has made mistakes which he is taking responsibility for. All of those involved, including Mason, recognise the difficulties with him recommencing his career at Manchester United, so it has therefore been mutually agreed that it would be most appropriate for him to do so away from Old Trafford, and we will now work with Mason to achieve that outcome. So that was Manchester United's statement released at 3 o'clock yesterday. So confirmation that Greenwood will leave Manchester United, Joel. Manchester United have got the right decision, in my opinion, but they seem to have stumbled to it. The whole situation is just an absolute farce, isn't it? It didn't need to come to such a... almost a falling down the hill in terms of how they've managed to come to the conclusions that they've come to, because obviously last week, it's almost as if they got their hand forced by The Athletic, who did some really good reporting about ultimately finding out that they had pretty much a contingency plan and a, a road map for him to be reintroduced to the squad in terms of how they'll do the interviews, how Ten Hag will come to the press and answer the questions about him. They were really detailed. And suddenly Richard Arnold's put out the statement that he has uh, on behalf of himself and of the football club. And the biggest part I got from his statement, not the Manchester United statement, his statement addressing the fans is that he was so desperate to keep him on and he was almost siding with him so much, but the complete furore from the Manchester United fans and the public in general literally meant that they couldn't. They had the hand forced and they could not continue to basically go along with the plan, which was to keep him in. Because he mentioned in his statement how they had all these different types of alternatives uh, based on their decision so for example they had a different model for bringing him in they had a different model for not bringing him in different mm. model for loaning him out for me that's absolute nonsense and i think he's trying to save his face i think the the decision was made last week they didn't realize just how bad it would be received by the public and they thought we it's, but it's, that's it's baffling untenable. to me surely they can read the room well enough as a massive organization they're not just a football club they're a huge global brand and surely they have enough about them to be able to read the room and say this is not going to go down well, particularly amidst the backdrop of a Women's World Cup of which three of Manchester United's players were playing for the Lionesses in a World Cup final. 100% right. I mean, for me personally, the minute that audio got released and the trial didn't go its full course where he could be officially cleared in the court of law of guilty or not guilty, it was over for him. Because public, the public don't forget 
I'll know no one will forget that audio recording, regardless of if it's partial, regardless of if it doesn't tell the full story, it'll always be over his head. Maybe in a hypothetical world where this audio didn't get released and it was just the case that was over him and nobody truly knew the full details of it, maybe we'd be looking at a different situation. But when you have evidence like that in the public domain, it's just it's a it's a road that you cannot cross anymore, especially and Richard Arnold, this is the only point I agreed with him on is that Manchester United is a different kind of club to come back with come back with when you've got that kind of case hanging over you and that kind of image hanging over you because like we mentioned now in previous uh, podcast about this I could only imagine what the reaction would have been like had he been reintroduced every single football game it would be about Mason Greenwood every single analysis Mason Greenwood every fan chant Mason Greenwood and it's for what we've we've lost better players in the future we'll lose better players in the future and we've lost better players previously so it was the right decision but i'm just so bitterly disappointed and i've i've become a little bit disillusioned to be honest with football in general just how they commoditize these players as such assets regardless of what they do whether it's right or wrong and it's, it's, it leaves a really bitter taste in my mouth how they've come to this kind of decision. And as we said, Manchester United have moved on in the last 18 months or more without Mason Greenwood. As I said, he hasn't played a game since January of 2022. So Manchester United have won a trophy and finished in the top four in that time. And so Mason Greenwood perhaps, you know, isn't needed at the club anymore. And I think that that's a fair enough assessment. And I also think it's really important to point out that the charges being dropped is vastly different to someone being cleared of all charges. They are two massively different things. And you referenced that open letter from Man United CEO Richard Arnold to the supporters. So let's read that for you now if you haven't caught up with it yet. Our investigation sought to collate as much evidence as possible to establish facts and context, and this was not a quick or straightforward process for a variety of reasons. While we were unable to access certain evidence for reasons we respect, the evidence we did collate led us to conclude that Mason did not commit the acts he was charged with. I'm restricted as to what I can say for legal reasons, including the alleged victim's ongoing right to anonymity, but I am able to share the following with you which should give you some insight into the complexity of this case. The alleged victim requested the police drop the investigation in April 2022. We were provided with alternative explanations for the audio recording, which was a short excerpt from a much longer recording, and for the images posted online. The alleged victim's family participated in the process and were given the opportunity to review and correct our factual findings. Last week, the media reported that we had decided to reintegrate Mason and that elements of a plan to do so had been leaked to them. Reintegration was one of the outcomes we considered and planned for. For context, over the course of the past six months, several outcomes have been contemplated and planned for. Although we have decided that Mason will seek to rebuild his career away from Manchester United, that does not signal the end of this matter. The club will continue to offer its support both to the alleged victim and Mason to help them rebuild and move forward positively with their lives. And that's just a, an excerpt of what's quite a long letter from Richard Arnold. Although it's understandable that they've plotted for multiple different outcomes, as Gary Neville has said, and he's criticised the lack of leadership at Manchester United in terms of the way they've reached this decision, it was never viable for Mason Greenwood to return to first-team action at Manchester United, whether all the charges have been dropped or not. It was just never going to work with Mason Greenwood returning to the club. Didn't seem feasible. 
is exactly that. And I thought as soon as I heard it, there's no way back, regardless of if... I think the only way he could have come back is if the case wasn't dropped and that he actually got cleared officially. Because Richard Ardell there is saying that he didn't commit the crime. So he's saying that he's innocent. So why is he not being integrated back into the team? Because they're scared of the fan furor. They didn't like the reaction that that was coming of the last week's reports, which basically outlined that they were reintegrating him back into the club. And I don't think they anticipated that, which is so tone deaf because every other person knew what it was going to be. Every person. Are these executives completely not got their ear to the ground do they not understand the fan sentiment around it or do they not understand the reaction of internal employees because another leak that has come out is that fan um, employees at Manchester United were allegedly pulling up a letter of concern that he was going to be reintegrating and they didn't like the fact that that was going to happen so there are all these different things coming out of the club and I just don't understand why there was just a them and us mentality where the leadership team thought they knew best and everyone else at the club was almost like a second thought in terms of what they felt about him being reintegrated. And I've always said, and I maintain this, I do believe he should, he should still continue playing football. I have no problem with that whatsoever. However, Manchester United is a different ball game in terms of the scrutiny. You get scrutiny even if you're just a player, let alone someone who's had this case and all of this media speculation and focus on them for a year and a half now. So it was the right decision ultimately, but I feel like, and I've always said it, I can't wait for the day that hopefully this takeover happens and Richard Arnold can go out the back door just like Ed Woodward did and we get some real leadership at the football club because the way in which it was handled should have been handled months ago. I don't understand why he's talking about how difficult the process was and all these different intricacies. It was obvious he could not play for the club ever again unless he went through the court of law and got officially cleared in the public domain. They're concealing evidence because they don't want the victim to be continuously dragged through it. And, you know, if they, maybe if they release the full audio clip, which is what he's saying in his mm. statement. maybe but it sounds to me like the, the victim, the alleged victim, is not keen for that to happen yeah, exactly. you have to absolutely exactly. respect that exactly. I just think like like what you're saying it's not been handled well but I think we we all agree on Football Social Daily the right decision has been reached 100%. yeah 100% but just probably in the wrong way yeah 100% and it just it's been Manchester United in general hasn't it just they made the right decision but it just takes them a long time to get there it happened with Marco Arnautovic last summer when they were um they were linked with him and then all the fans were not happy with him coming because of his background and what he used to say in public and suddenly they did a U-turn on it. You know, it keeps happening constantly. I just think we need new leadership of the club uh, because the whole culture comes from the top in every single organisation. And when you've got weak leadership like that, um, it, needs, it needs change quickly. Well, Mason Greenwood will not play for Manchester United again. We thought that might have been the case when he was arrested in January 2022. Here we are in August 2023 and we finally figured out what his future is. So Mason Greenwood won't play for United again, but Ivan Tony will be back playing football before too long. We'll talk about his response to his eight-month ban for betting a little bit later in the podcast. But next, we're going to look at Arsenal's victory last night over Crystal Palace. They won by a goal to nil, but it was controversial. We'll talk about it next.
Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily and Arsenal are one of just three teams to have a 100% record in the Premier League this season. Brighton and Manchester City are the other two and by virtue of a 1-0 victory away at Crystal Palace last night through a Martin Odegaard spot kick, the Gunners are keeping pace. It wasn't easy though. It never is away at Selhurst Park really, but particularly when you have to play the final 30 minutes with 10 men. That was the big talking point Joel, after Takahiro Tomiyasu was dismissed for two yellow cards, the first was for time-wasting at a throw-in. Referees said they would be stamping out time-wasting this season to improve what they call the ball-in-play time, but did the red card feel a little bit hollow because of what the first yellow was for? Basically, he took too long to throw the ball in. It was really comical when I watched it. I don't know if you've seen the analysis just after it. I didn't notice it in real time, but... It started from a goal kick where Thomas Partey took a long time to give it to uh, Aaron Ramsdale or a, a free kick near Aaron Ramsdale's box. Hologramsdale. Hologramsdale. <laughs> he wasn't very hologram this game, to be fair. He was very good. Um, and then it went for a throw-in. And then Kai Havertz held the ball for a long time as well. Then he threw it to Tomiyasu, who, bless him, has, has literally just held the ball like a normal throw-in. And the referees just lost his patience and just gave him a yellow card to, to stop uh, to stop time wasting. And then again, it happens where I think the the other yellow card was the one where he pulled him down. He didn't really have much contact at all, to be honest. I feel like Tommy Arsu has just been caught in the crossfire of this. All his teammates basically just accumulating time wasting. But yeah, mm. it's, it's a perfect example of the new rules being in place where the referees have just got no patience with it anymore, but is, which I like, but it was harsh on on his part, I do think. Is a throw-in much more difficult to take effectively in the Premier League than what we're used to seeing on the park on a Sunday, for example? Because... I think it was 23 seconds he was clocked at. Mikel Arteta disagreed, as we'll hear in a second, that it was that long. But obviously when you've got the high amount of turnovers, the high volume of turnovers that you do in the Premier League, where one mistake, even from something as simple as a throw-in, could lead to a goal, you can understand why players take their time a little bit more and try and pick the right option I guess but I just in, in this circumstance I feel like this circumstance was just very specific because Kai Havertz held the ball for longer than Tommy Yossi did and he ran away and didn't get anything for it which was strange um, and that could have changed the game because it happened in what the 65th minute and Arsenal credit to them actually held on for a good portion of the game um, and I know Declan Rice spoke about it. They asked him, what do the players think about this new added time rule and the time-wasting rule? And he said, they all get told and all the Premier League officials come into each club at the start of each season and tell them what the new rules are and uh, if they all agree with it. And you just have to go with it. And they know, I think the players know that everyone time wastes. Everyone tries to run the clock down, especially if you're winning a game. So although, and Declan Rice did say, when he sees nine minutes on the clock, uh, added on when you're winning 1-0 and you're 10 men down I'm sure it can give an extra mental fatigue you know knowing that you have to maintain that lead for such a longer period of time than usual but like we like we said uh, last season you know the ball was in play for a good 51 minutes it's not enough is it for a top level game when people are paying good money to come and watch it but you know, we're seeing a lot of knee injuries now a lot of injuries coming into effect and I know you're going to show us Arteta's very uh, let's say, pep imitation of sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you mentioned nine minutes of added time. We had 21 minutes of added time at Portsmouth on Saturday and we still couldn't score a goal. So I wouldn't worry about Christ. it too much. Nine minutes is nothing for these top-level athletes. I just wonder, before we do hear from Mikel Arteta, 
whether clubs might or whether players might actually use this as a tactic, you know, try and box people in from throw-ins. It's an old Sam Allardyce tactic where he used to kind of launch the ball towards the corner flag, a bit like a, a line-out in rugby union, and then box people in to try and win the ball back. Whereas if Tommy Yasu had nowhere to throw the ball and he didn't feel confident throwing it anywhere and he takes too long, he's going to get booked. It's better to be booked than just throw it straight to the opposition. But I wonder whether we might see this used tactically in the near future. Well, if it is, then you know who you need to call? Rory Delap. He's retired way <laughs> too soon because he would have been an absolutely lethal asset in this kind of modern day football. Um, but with every rule change comes different innovations in terms of how football is played, isn't it? You know, for example, um, the way in which a keeper is allowed to clatter somewhere or the way in which a keeper's protected and then they get less protected and then the, the tactics kind of evolve around that. But I, I do think, although it's nice to see more football now, when it gets to Christmas time, I do think we're going to see a little bit of a dip in the quality and that's just because of accumulation of all these minutes being added on. Well, let's hear the thoughts of Arsenal's manager, Mikel Arteta now, who gave, let's just say, a spiky post-match interview despite the three points. Well, Mikel, grit and character to, to see that game out after you went down to 10 men. Great win. I'm so happy. Um, what was the most pleasing aspect of the performance? And under any circumstances, you win. What was the key to the reorganisation after you went down to 10 men to keep Palace at bay? Yeah, well, to play 30 minutes in this league away from only 10 men is something extremely difficult to do. Uh, the contribution of the subs, I think they were magnificent. They were really understood what we had to do. We hardly given anything away. And um, credit to them, again, for being under the difficulties and the decisions. Stay there and yeah. win. Can I ask you about the two yellow cards for Takihiro? Your thoughts on each incident? Uh, well, if this is the standards. I think we will see eight against eight this season. So you didn't agree with both of them or just one of them? No, I don't agree. So the time-wasting thing they have said they're clamping down on. Did he take too long from that throw? Well, I, I don't know exactly how long you can... Is it three it seconds? Like 23 seconds or something like that. No, it wasn't. I think, I think it was eight seconds. And right. are pre there are previous ones that are longer. So I don't know. We might have to play with a stopwatch and <laughs> understand um, what's next. It's OK. We won the game. I'm so happy. The second yellow card, though, you didn't think was a yellow? I leave it to you guys. I think it's very easy. Well, I'm just asking your opinion because yeah. people want to hear from you. And I'm passing it to you. That was Mikel Arteta after last night's game against Crystal Palace. He says very happy at the start of the interview, really pleased for the win. He didn't sound very happy, Joel. <laughs> he's just an archetype of Guardiola, isn't he? I don't know if he's trying to copy him or if he's spent that long around him as an assistant manager that he's literally developed his mannerisms and everything, how he comes across. Because when he was like, I'm so happy, I'm so happy, I could literally hear Guardiola saying, I'm more happy than you believe <laughs> it is at his conferences. But I don't know, actually, the first thought I had from that conference is a little bit of annoyance at how managers have to almost subliminally get across their message to not get a fine or get a touchline ban. Almost like taking the emotion out of uh, conferences. Because if you look at the American sports, for example, um, especially NBA, they speak really candidly and quite openly about officials, players, life in general. Whereas in the UK, it's almost offensive It's like an unwritten to... rule, isn't it? You can't mention the referee for yeah, the... fear of a fine. It's almost like speaking about Voldemort. Like, he <laughs> must not be named. You have to almost kind of beat around the bush and the elephant in the room, which I'm not keen on. I'd actually want to hear, does Mikel Arteta actually think it was a yellow card? Why do you not think it was a I yellow card? I think he's card? allowed to say that he disagrees like he did. Yeah. I just think when we start wading into the territory of the referees are a disgrace and they don't deserve the job, 
that's when you start to think about whether managers should be fined or not. I think that that's when you criticise someone's integrity. I think that that is a bigger thing than people realise. Well, sure. Do you not think though that managers should still be entitled with their opinion about the decisions? Oh yeah, it's almost like he was completely censoring himself there. Of course, but I mean, you know, the the players know the rules, and we'll talk about Ivan Tony later in this show and Ivan Tony knew that he wasn't allowed to bet but yet he still did it Arteta and the reporter disagreeing there the reporter said it was 23 seconds Arteta says no it was eight or maybe it was eight seconds that Tommy Asu had the ball in his hand but it might have been 23 seconds altogether that it took Arsenal to take the throw and Tommy Asu was just unlucky to receive the yellow card because he happened to have the ball in his hand at that point I think managers will always be biased towards their team I think that's the bottom line regardless of it was 20 who whatever seconds it was he would they were taking too long to take the throw in it would that that's what happens if if a player mm. is you know holding the ball and then gives it to their goalkeeper and then he takes ages to take the goal kick he's going to give a yellow card to the goalkeeper it's natural but the other yellow wasn't a yellow I think yeah that's it fair was, enough. It was very harsh, quite. but Arteta again centering himself. He didn't want to talk about it because they know. And I, Jose Mourinho was the absolute master uh, criticizing a manager, but not actually criticizing them. So I always remember when he was said minute twenty three, minute seventeen, minute forty four, and then the reporter was like, "Well, what do you mean by that?" He said, "Go and check those minutes." That's all I have to say. And suddenly the whole press were like doing a Cluedo investigation into what <laughs> happened him in, in the bathroom minutes. with the rope <laughs> <laughs> literally <laughs> and it, it, you know what the, the, this is it's, it's not like it's new it's happened for years mm. now where managers have almost have to find creative ways to get across their message that they're not happy with the officiating and i think that's fair but the decision for the second yellow for tommy Asu was poor and it leaves me scratching my head again why var can't intervene for two yellow cards becoming a red because it's a, an action which could impact Arsenal in the next match because Tommy Asu is going to be suspended. So, I mean, that's a frustrating one, but we know the rules again. We know that they just can't. It's not entirely clear why that should be the case. But anyway, he said that 8v8 is what we're going to see for the rest of the season if the referees continue. Uh, the amount of red cards we saw at the weekend, um, I think there was more red cards this weekend than I can remember there being for a long time in individual matches. So... What do you think about that? 8v8? I'm not sure we're going to get quite that bad. but Well, we'll have to bring back uh, Masters football if that's the case <laughs> then because <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing that to be fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was three, reds, three red cards over the, across the games at the weekend. I think with VAR in general, we're always going to see more red cards because we can look in retrospect at decisions that they may or may not have got wrong. But at the end of the day it's logical with the games being 10 15 minutes longer than usual that means more game time to get a red card to get another yellow card so managers have to plan ahead for it maybe that benefits the bigger stronger more in-depth teams because they have more quality to bring off the bench uh compared to a crystal palace where they may not have the luxury of bringing on Jorginho and all these different players trossard off the bench so, you know, it benefits one, team, one one specific category of team more than the other, I think. Well, three points go to Arsenal, but there was controversy as well in terms of the way they won the match through the penalty. They scored it through Erdegaard, but was there a foul from Partey in the build-up? Crystal Palace fans might be a little bit frustrated at that one, but we'll leave it there for now because I've had enough of talking about referees. <laughs> what have we had? Two weeks of the season and we've probably spoken about refs nearly every show just another 36 game weeks to go oh god don't even start <laughs> right it won't be 36 game weeks though before Ivan Tony is back in action I think January 
is his return is penciled in for, but he's been banned for eight months due to 232 breaches of the FA's betting rules. And this week, he's spoken out about it for the very first time. And we'll discuss it next on Football Social Daily. Final part of today's show. This is FSD. I'm Niall. Joel's with me. And if you like what you hear, why not hit subscribe? That way you won't miss an episode again. Marley's on holiday. I'm away at the end of this week. So we're going to try and get as many podcasts out for you whilst we try and work some things out behind the scenes here at FSD. But do stick with us because we do like to tackle the big talking points. We've already spoken about Mason Greenwood on today's show. Now it's time to talk Tony, who's spoken out about his ban for the first time since it was announced he'll miss eight months of football due to 232 breaches of the FA's betting rules. He's been speaking on Stephen Bartlett's The Diary of a CEO podcast about the decision to ban him for that length of time. And what was revealed on the show was that actually an independent psychiatrist believed that Tony was in fact a gambling addict. And the fact that he was addicted to gambling made his ban more lenient. It could have been as long as 15 months. In the end, he got eight. I think it's important to address here that he won't be the only player, Joel, with issues with gambling or addiction inside the professional game. Not just in the Premier League, I'm talking in English football, because at the time when we heard about the length that Ivan Tony was going to be banned for, I did wonder whether Ivan Tony needed help, because breaking the rules two, three, even ten times, it's certainly a far cry from breaking the rules 232 times. When you break the rules that many times... It led me to think that maybe he had an issue with gambling. And I'm not saying that I'm Nostradamus here, but it doesn't make much sense for someone to break the rules that many times, knowing that they're not allowed to gamble and thinking that they're going to get away with it unless they had a problem. I have simple. Well, the bottom line is, first and foremost, he broke the rules. So we cannot say, oh, yeah. he deserves to play still because he bet on a football game that he was involved in. So that's the bottom line. But when you take the context into account, you know, he said himself, uh, and I quote, none of it was match fixing. I was betting on myself to score first. I was trying to do the right thing. And it's not like I was smashing someone to get a yellow card, which ironically is what Luca Paqueta is suddenly in the spotlight for, which may get even worse if Ivan Tony's got an eight month ban for betting on himself to score compared to someone who is almost influencing a game through getting a yellow card. Obviously, allegedly, I don't know if that's going to come to fruition or not. But Ivan Tony has. Like you say, it's an addiction. And I do think the way in which he was talking candidly about having to be almost exiled from the training group and not being able to take part in football whatsoever, it's an addiction. If someone had a drug addiction in football, I don't believe they'd be treated the same way. I don't think they'd be, they'd be told, you go and do your own thing. Don't be involved in football. We're not going to help you with anything. I don't know if the, he's getting help behind the scenes. I don't know if the FA or the PFA are helping him. But I think um, that's a that's a really good point you make. And I actually agree with you. And I think alcoholism as well has been a big issue in football, particularly in the past. But I do think that there is a difference with gambling. And the difference is the influence it could have on the match. Now, you're right. Ivan Tony wasn't match fixing. It was said in the FA report that he wasn't match fixing. He just had a, a serious gambling problem and he broke the rules. But... I do think that there is a difference with gambling because gambling directly could impact or influence the outcome of a match. Now, that's not what Tony was doing, but that is why gambling, I think, is treated differently to the problems with drugs and alcoholism in the game. That's that's my personal opinion. Isn't it so ironic, though, that they punish so heavily and yet betting is one of the biggest incomes for football in terms of sponsorship, 
in terms of advertisement, commercial, it is plastered everywhere. And yet, ironically, they want to completely put the put the sword down on someone who has bet. So it's almost like they've influ- they might have even influenced him to bet. You don't even know because it's it's everywhere on shirts, on stadiums. It's named after everything. Yeah, it's in your face. I totally agree. Gambling sponsorship is everywhere. We've had gambling sponsors on Football Social Daily. But we're not a podcast aimed at football players. People that listen to this podcast know that they are allowed to gamble. Whereas people that play the game, who are remunerated well, Ivan Tony makes more in a week than I'll make probably in the next five, ten years. So you've got to understand that when you're in that privileged position, there are some things you can and cannot do. And you cannot gamble. And I know it's everywhere and the temptation is there. But that's where that's where the sacrifices come as a professional player. You have the glory and you have the pay packet. So you have to make sacrifices. Different with Tony, though, because he was addicted to gambling. So I think that's a different conversation entirely. Yeah. I, I, and I, I, I totally hear what you're saying, but I do think, and I've heard it from a lot of players in the past as well, that football brings such a high that I think a lot of players have difficulty maintaining that high in their off days. And like you've just said, it seems so bizarre that someone like Ivan Tony, he was probably earning a ridiculous amount while he was betting is having to bet and not for the money it's more so for the for the feel it's probably for the high the almost backing himself trying to I think you're understand. right I think it starts a lot of the time with boredom I yeah, really do 100%. I mean listening to what he was saying in that interview he said that he would put money aside at the start of the month for the things he needed to pay like rent and food for his kids and stuff like that and then the rest of the money he was like right i've got this to play with so i'm just going to gamble it and it's probably like the rest of it for the general population in general of just basically doing it as a pastime hobby something that they don't even think about but i think the fa's charge and when it comes to for example uh, drug usage in sports whether it comes to alcohol usage whether it comes to betting they always want to set a precedent for the rest of the football population because eight months, although it does seem excessive for what he's done, is almost necessary at the ta- at the same time to almost basically tell the rest of football players if you engage in any kind of form of betting. Do you think they've made an will... example out of him, the FA? In a sense, yeah. Because he I does. Do think he so. thinks that they've made an example out of him for banning him for eight months. It could have been 12. It could have even been longer. It could have been 15. But it, he got it down to eight because of the fact he pleaded guilty to all of the charges and also the fact that the independent psychiatrist came in and said he was a gambling addict. So he had a problem that he needed to solve. In some aspects, again, I do feel quite sorry for him because, you know, when you look at Kieran Trippier's case, when he moved from Atletico Madrid to Newcastle and he told his friend it's going to happen. So if you want to put a bet on, then, you know, yeah, lump on. I think personally that's worse because if you're betting on yourself to score, it's not as if, you know, it's a prerequisite and you get a 100% score unless every team, on every person on the pitch has been told, let's make Ivan Tony score. I know what you're saying, but he's done that 232 times. Yeah, and I guess that's why it comes to the quantity. It's, it's very, very excessive. But I mean, when it comes down to money and betting companies losing money, there's always going to be one winner and that's going to be the betting companies. And that's why they have to almost make an example of these players. Well, what I think is interesting is he said that there wasn't enough gambling education for footballers. He said he knew that he couldn't gamble, really. Deep down, he knew that he couldn't. But nobody really came in to the training ground at the start of the season and said, you can do this, you can't do this. Oh, this what is he, what the consequences of this will be. Kind yes, of and what, what he did say was that people came in and shared their experiences of gambling 
and the issues that gambling can cause, but he didn't say anyone came in and explicitly said, this is what you can and what you can't do. He said that there wasn't enough education there for professional footballers. I mean, I said it right at the start of this segment, there will be more players out there, in the Premier League even, who are gambling addicts that will need help. 100%. And I guess sometimes these cases are needed to then better football for the rest of the footballing population, aren't they? Because maybe now, at the start of every season, they'll have an official come in and say, if you do X, you will get this ban. If you do Y, you will get this ban. And then suddenly, it's absolutely crystal clear that if you do any form of it, which I'm quite shocked at that they're not even told that in the first place, they're almost automatically assuming, I need to do this. Um, I think it is probably necessary. So sometimes... I think it's just in the world in general, isn't it? You have to be cruel to be kind in terms of you need one person to almost, quote-unquote, take a hit for the team, for the mm. FA or for the organisations to realise, are we actually contributing to the welfare of these players or are we just assuming that they know what they should and shouldn't be doing because they're adults? Bearing in mind that they've been absolutely putting cotton wool ever since they were 16 and they basically get told what they should and shouldn't do by the people around them. They're almost not thinking for themselves half of the time. What do you reckon to the comments that Ivan Tony made that he feels that someone was out to stop him playing for England? He said that someone was out to get me. Do you remember when, um, I think it was the international break October last year, if I'm not mistaken, just prior to the World Cup when the selection was about to be had. And I, th I remember when we had the conversation on FSD about it. And I remember saying, isn't it very coincidental how nothing was said and suddenly his form picks up and he's on the cusp of being brought into the Southgate squad and then everything came to light and all his charges came to light. Well, that last game before the international break, he scored against Man City yes. and they beat Man City 2-1, yeah. didn't they? And everyone was saying, right, that's it. He's got to get in the England squad. And then, like, you're, you're right. Those allegations emerged. Sometimes that's the... I, I, I do believe in what he's saying. I do think there probably is someone in the organisation that has looked at it and thought we need to bring the we need to bring it out into the surface now more so because it will um bring the fa into disrepute because they will allow it well his his complaint is that he feels like he's been punished twice joel punished once by not being included in the world cup squad because of the allegations which he feels is the case even though there were just allegations at the time and they weren't charges it gets to the end of the season because they they let him carry on playing and then they ban him for eight months and he said i'd rather you just banned me for eight months from that point and then i miss the world cup and i miss a few games and then i'm back closer to the start of this season he's like why not just just punish me straight away he feels like he's been punished twice by being uh, left out of the world cup squad and now banned for eight months yeah it's almost like the timing's just too perfect isn't it i also remember that point as well where we were almost discussing, is Thomas Frank going to suffer if he gets banned in January of last year? Oh, sorry, of this year. So he would have already basically taken the course of his ban through the summer, through the World Cup, and basically almost only served four months in reality in terms of the actual season. It's almost like they've wanted him to fully feel the effects of the whole ban, where they've started from the football season starting and basically missing the whole season almost. So I do I do sympathise with him in that regard, but the bottom line is he's broken the rules and you are at the mercy of the rule maker when it comes to that kind of thing. And that's why, although I can see a lot of 
a lot of human side parts which have not been dealt with well the bottom line is he's broken the rules and ultimately you have to pay the price for that well Ivan Tony it's going to be a while before we see him back but I did think it was good that he came out and spoke about it and actually it gave us a bit of an insight into his character as a human being he seems like quite a guarded person keeps a lot close to his chest doesn't he He doesn't really give much away and he even admitted that in the interview he said I'm not the sort of person that really comes out and speaks about things so I thought it was interesting to hear his take on the situation and particularly in the um, light of this uh, Luca Pacatar situation that we've got at the moment with the betting thing I mean who knows what will happen there I think um, it also should be mentioned as well if no one saw the interview that he has sent transfer speculation through the roof after he basically told everyone that he's a Chelsea fan and that he really likes Arsenal and that his next move will be to a club he respects and now everyone is forgetting about the betting allegations. They're saying, what's going to be happening in January? Where is Brentford? Where is he going to be? A Brentford, Chelsea, Arsenal? <laughs> Chelsea can't surely bring another player in. Surely. Well, Niall, I mean, I've been contacted by Chelsea. Don't tell anyone. But... <laughs> <laughs> It'll be all over the news before you know it. Don't worry. <laughs> Joel Tudor, £110 million deal. <laughs> uh, FSD will reject that. It's, it's not enough. Yeah. That. You've not got a release clause, have you? Glass of red wine and some seafood pasta <laughs> that'll be enough to get Joel out of here for sure well if you've seen Neymar's uh, contractual obligations I don't know how true they were of getting a private jet a maid the food at his house I mean if they put food on the top of the contract now I'm sorry but FSD might have to be something of the past really. I can't lie <laughs> yeah, food social daily that'd be a new type of FSD for you uh, that's it from me and Joel for today's episode of football social daily we'll hopefully be back in the next couple of days but as we mentioned we are a couple of people light this week due to holidays and stuff like that if you've not listened to football social daily for a while you might have noticed that we've been slightly irregular with the upload schedule uh, we actually revealed why that's been the case on yesterday's podcast so scroll back if you missed that and we kind of lay bare really we reveal all what's going on behind the scenes here at fsd and what you can expect for the season ahead so scroll back in the timeline have a listen to that and everything will be explained but do hit subscribe because we love producing these podcasts for you we love it when you get in touch some of you have sent us emails and whatsapp messages and stuff like that so please do keep doing that we love hearing your thoughts and hopefully we'll see you again soon on football social daily bye for now football social daily is a voice work sport production for the sport social podcast network